I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm not finished yet. It took me a long time to get here. Both parents have, have spoken with each other and... Uh, and they regret what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other, and they're, they're both of them are keen to, to now focus on getting back to their county jerseys. But these fellas will get such a shit shock next Saturday evening that we'll put them back in their houses for 10 years. So we're finally back, lads, the football show. It's been last December since we've had a show. I've done three hurling shows, lads, <laughs> and I haven't had a football show yet. So, Paul Kerrigan, welcome to the football show. Alan Brogan, you've been here before. I'm not going to start with you. Paul Kerrigan, how's it going? Not too bad. Happy to be here. How is retirement treating you? Looking forward. Uh, not too bad. Settled into family life, I suppose, when I retired. Uh, we had a good December when the pubs were open, but uh, my social life has died a death since January, really. Like, so, uh, looking forward to watching a bit of football, to be honest with you. Yeah, so you haven't had, had a chance to see Cork playing now since you retired? No, no, and no. So, like, hopefully we'll open up and we get to go see him live a bit. But uh, now looking forward to watching the boys now, to be honest with you. Yeah, three o'clock. Is it three o'clock on Saturday they're playing Kildare? It's always the first one yeah. when you're not involved, having to sit down and watch them. And look, this, this is nothing to do with me. It's a little bit of a weird feeling. Take it from me. Although I, I kind of retired loads of different times. <laughs> Yeah, I suppose I suppose I can get on against tips, so I spend most, most of the game watching that as well, so I'm a bit used to it. But uh, yeah, it'd be strange enough watching them now, but look, sure, what can you do? You move on and be a fan now and maybe enjoy the other, other side of it. Yeah, exactly. So I was looking into the two of your history, lads. So 2010, obviously, um, All-Ireland semi-final. Cork broke your hearts, um, Alan. You were flying it. Berno was flying that day. And of course, as usual, flaky Dublin, the old Mayo, found a way to throw it away and Cork ended up beating you. Yeah, yeah, I suppose that year we probably looked kind of more than Mayo in 06. We looked like we were nearly home and hosed. I would have thought we would have learned the lessons after, kind of after 06, but um, we actually played really, really well that day. But like I think like you can't take away from that Cork team at the time. I know they won the All-Ireland that year. Probably should have won another one or two around that time. They won the National League that year and the following year. So it, it, it was a really strong Cork team. And probably, Paul might agree, they probably didn't get the medals out of it at, at, at our learning level that maybe they should have. Um, 
But look, it was no disgrace, certainly, being beaten by that Cork team, but we probably did have it in the... Uh, we gave away a penalty. I think Ross gave away a penalty at the end, which I think yeah. Donald O'Connor slotted away. Um, but yeah, it was disappointing. But look, it was another step along the way for us, I suppose, and another yeah. harsh lesson. You did your part uh, down in Cork, Paul, of keeping this Dublin blue wave at bay. It was Kerry, of course, gave them the break. And now look what now look what we're, we're dealing with, a seven in a row <laughs> yeah. uh, shout. You played them in the league final then the year, the year after. They were seven points up on you and you won the last 30 minutes, 11 points to two. Another collapse from the Dubs in, as, as recently yeah. as 2011. Do you remember that one, Paul? Yeah, I suppose... Yeah, like, uh, I suppose, we, as Alan said, we were probably an experienced team, like, and we didn't play well against the Dubs at all in 2010. Like, they were far superior, but we just hung in there. Uh, we weren't playing well that year, really, and, uh, you know, I suppose the experience told, and, um, like, I'd say it was probably the making of Dublin, really, like, that one. Um, and then in 2011, look, again, yeah, we just hung on. I think we kicked over 20 points, um, and just, I think the Dubs missed a couple of handy frees in the second half. And it was just another league title for us. Uh, and I suppose, like Alan said, they're probably maybe underachieved a little bit in All-Ireland success. But uh, look, that was our window, I suppose. And we got one All-Ireland out of maybe three leagues. So um, that's better than most Cork teams, you know. But um, as I said, uh, they were good times, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, an All-Ireland in three leagues is okay. And a few monsters to throw in there as well. Yeah, like, yeah, I mean, underachieving. <laughs> yeah. That sounds a bit strange to yeah. me. The, the highlight of that 2011 final wasn't Cork's comeback. It was the row at halftime, um, Alan, between Philly McMahon and um, Michael Shields. And it was, this was... This was like a professional boxing match. This was like in the tunnel. The cameras picked it up. Where two fellas that you wouldn't like to get on the wrong side of uh, just went at it. Yeah, well, I think that's the whole thing. As you said, they were left on their own. I'd say anyone else looking at that was afraid to go into that <laughs> round now in case they might end up in the middle yeah. of it. But uh, look, now in Philly, Philly's a tough old competitor and, and obviously Michael Shields is as well. So there was certainly going to be no one backing down there. Um, and I suppose when the two boys got in the tunnel, maybe they thought they had a bit of they had a bit of cover in the tunnel and they could, <laughs> and they could let loose. But, but uh, look, I'm sure it's all I'm sure it's all water under a bridge at this stage. I was actually suspended that um, for that final, and I was it was our first national league final since I started playing. So um, I got sent off down in Salt Hill the previous week or the previous fortnight, and what was it was a, a very harsh red card. And I remember getting sent off. It was only after I was after getting a goal early in that game, and I was sent off after only. 13 or 14 minutes I think but I remember going off at half time and I went up to our um, up to the back of the stand to our videographer uh, I think it was Chris Farrell at the time and I said have you got that did you catch that on the uh, and, on the video and he went back to the video and he, he just his angle of it had just missed what had happened so I was like I was certain I was going to appeal it like there was no way I was missing this was our first what, was you, what were you meant to have done I think I got to spend. I, th- I think it was an attempted strike a fella ran at me and I put me ha- <laughs> I put my hands up genuinely I think I've made mistakes in the past and deserved a few red cards but this one I genuinely felt I didn't I didn't deserve and I was going to miss our first National Naturally. League final like and that's you have to remember it's 2011 like we yeah. hadn't even played in a, an Ireland final or a National League final so I said to Pat Gilroy the week after I said look I want to appeal this and we had a chat about it and he said look and I don't think you should appeal and I was like I'd never played in a National League final and he said well look the there's a long year ahead and who knows we might need another if you appeal this you might get off it but that could be our opportunity to appeal a red gone so um, he said, hang on, because we might need one later on in the year. So um, 
kind of going on Pat's word, I said, right, okay, I'll take the I'll take the hit here and I won't appeal it. And kind of lo and behold, when we needed an appeal later on in the year, when Dermot got sent off against Donegal, and then we got back fair and square, but um, we used our appeal. It might have been our one our one get out of jail card that Jesus. day, and we got Dermot back for the final. So it was a good, uh, what it was a, a smart move. Yeah, look, it's it's uh, suppose it's little things like that in hindsight. You think he's looking further down the line. All I was thinking was was that National League final against Cork, but he was thinking. Thinking a bigger picture, that's a bigger picture. paid off in the end, yeah. Yeah, Jesus, that's a good yeah. one. We know Pat Gilroy is an absolutely brilliant manager. So, anyways, we're kicking off this weekend, lads. Like I said, it's been a long time since we've had uh, football. It felt like during January, while the Cork boys were training on the beach down in Yall, you'd think it's never going to, uh, never going to come. And then the Doves stepped out of line. I'm not going to get into any of that, <laughs> into any of that stuff. But then the Monaghan lads did, and whatever. Anyways, the big one this weekend: Kerry Galway on telly, Tyrone Donegal on telly. Cork Kildare on telly, Roscommon Dublin on telly and, and Monaghan Armagh is a deferred game on TG Carr on telly as well. Like, I mean, it's just a feast or a famine kind of stuff, um, Paul. I saw Declan Bonner, interestingly, he was complaining about the league they're in. Now, look, he was complaining about it, but understanding the unique situation we're in. But I was looking through all the leagues and how they're split into groups of four and... It's the only one that's an all like it's an all Ulster one. It's a really tough group. Yeah. It's Tyrone Monaghan, Armagh, Donegal. So they're playing an Ulster Championship pretty much as a warm up to the Ulster Championship, Paul. Yeah, I'd say I, I listened to Declan Bonner during the week. Like I suppose in one way it shows the strength and probably the imbalance of the provinces, like that Ulster are so strong and they have four in Division One, you know, and they're restricted with how it goes. And I see Bonner, he was pushing for maybe the GA should have went for the uh, the elite, the extra three or four weeks. And they get a full league out of it. Like uh, I don't think Donegal can actually even win the league outright. I think if if they because they're playing so soon during the prelim, I think after uh, after the league. So you can see why he's a bit annoyed. All right, but um, I suppose you were looking at Ulster teams uh, kicking lumps over each other for two months. Like should be fairly uh, fairly interesting viewing. Jeez, that's mi- I've missed that one now. So if Donegal get into the semi final and the final, they will be on. The, it'll be on the same week as that preliminary. Yeah, I think that's I think that's what he said. There seems a bit of a problem about it, but uh, I don't know. Can they win it outright like that? They share the league or something. Right. Okay. Maybe that. But, uh, maybe that's the case. The, yeah. the, the the other division, the other group in Division One has a much nicer split. It has Leinster, Dublin, yeah. uh, two two Connacht's, Roscommon and Galway, and a Kerry um, Allen. That's you know that's what the league the league is different than the championship in that you, the, the novelty of it is that you can play anyone. Yeah, it is. It is. But I suppose it is a unique situation. And in fairness to Declan Bonner, he's never one that's 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 afraid to speak his mind, which is which is what you want. You want managers coming out and 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 and, and kind of saying what they think. And look, I suppose teams will only have a couple of weeks leading into this train, and so it's it's probably an opportunity maybe to to test a few new lads out. Um, so so it probably won't take on the take on the life of the cha- fellas won't be as fit yet as they need to be. So so. Kind of to compare it to the championship was probably a little bit uh, a little bit off the mark, but you can certainly you can certainly see where he's coming from. But I think lads will just be happy to get back playing football at this stage. And um, look, who knows? Like we've been so long now, but now even talking to yourself yesterday, Willie, you're thinking what's what's happened in the last few months, and you, that, that there's been no news and much. People have been training under the radar during the lockdown, under the radar since the lockdown ended, or since they were allowed back training. So even with the even inside in the Dublin camp, uh, like I've seen Kieran Kilkenny knocking around Castlenock once or twice. I haven't heard a not not a whisper out 
about what's going on. Not even a whisper. Yeah. What young lads might be might be shaping up to maybe get a chance in the league and see. Like so, it's it's it's. Uh, and I'm sure every county is the same. So, um, look, it's going to be very interesting. And we'll probably it'll probably be a couple of weeks before we really get to find out which which guys are coming through, who's shown strongly, and who's who's shaping up well for the year. And it's gonna it's gonna go so quick as well. So, um, like Paul said, I think everyone's just looking forward to seeing a bit of football at the weekend. That's the thing. That's the thing. I look forward to seeing it. And like obviously, everybody listening is you'd be disappointed to hear you have to see this as a warm-up competition rather than teams going flat out. Don't be expecting, you know, championship-type football, Paul, this weekend. No. No, I'd say definitely not. Like, especially with the Ulster code, they'll only be feeling each other out in a championship. Um, I suppose you look at it, the other group, like Alan spoke of there, is a great mix, you know. Um, it's a pity for someone like Armagh who's just come up they have to play the three boys, whereas they don't get the experience to carry or the... Uh, or the Dublin, like, um, I suppose the standout one would be maybe Dublin Kerry. I think it's a Turles, so that'll be one you be looking forward to. Yeah, no, definitely that that is one. And some more good news, lads. Not only do we have football back, I saw Jack Chambers, Minister, Minister for Sports, saying that he'd be expecting to have some fans back in, in the ground. I think he was talking about Croke Park. He said, in the original document, we had 5% as a starter of capacity, which would be four to 5,000. That's like playing a Division 4 league final. Like, I mean, that's generally the, the crowd would be that. Then the, the, that's at a distance, I think, of three metres. Then a two-metre distance would allow for 15,000 in Croke Park and a one-metre distance would allow for 30,000. Like, I mean, I've played in Croke Park with tiny crowds, even 30,000. Yeah. Like, I've played in, in, in Croke Park in 30,000 and 30,000 is not a big crowd in Croke Park, Alan. Like, it's almost an embarrassing crowd. But this is... This like wouldn't we be delighted to get it? Yeah, yeah, we will be delighted. But as you know, like I've seen league games, obviously with Dublin, where there's smaller crowds, and it can be a little bit eerie in Crow Park when there's when there's smaller crowds, and uh, like in some games when there's no crowd there, it can take the edge off a game. So, um, it, look, look, it'll be interesting. To see. I'm sure the players will be happy that there's that there's fans back in the crowd. I look forward to seeing what the criteria is for getting a ticket. I can imagine the scramble now for an All Ireland semi final or final with only thirty thousand going into Crow Park, and it was bad enough when there was eighty four or eighty three. Um, but look, it's good news, and hopefully it happens sooner rather than later. And I think it probably is time, like we're, the, the, like it's happening in the UK now with the with the soccer and the Euro. So it, it, like it probably is time that 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 kind of we made a move. I know Leinster Rugby had a proposal out last month or, yeah. um, to, to have some fans back in this month. But hopefully Jack moves that on quickly now. We can get some fans back in, and yeah. the sooner we can, the better for everybody. I think so. When they're distance outside, when we know the risk of outside transmission is tiny. So, like, I mean, I don't see why it can't happen as the vaccination is is ramping up. What's it like, Paul, walking into Parky Keeve on a championship match against uh, Kerry, and the whole place is deserted? Uh, not great, no, Willie, to be honest with you. I suppose I, the running joke for Cork footballers was when the no crowds were there, would be well used to playing in front of nobody. <laughs> that was kind of the, the running joke compared to the hurling last year, so we'd have an advantage. But uh, no, it is, it is not great. It's not the same. Like uh, As Alan said there, taking the edge off, I find if you go four, five, six points up, the game almost fizzles out, you know. Um, like, you never, before a game, you never can visualise or grow up playing in front of an empty stadium, you know, and... I suppose Marquine got that goal for us against Kerry last minute and the only people cheering were the stewards and the subs. Like, you know? yeah. so, like It's a bit surreal. I found it. I, I didn't like it, to be honest with you. you know, I, I know you hear every kick, but when there's a foul, it, it can be made um, or a meal of because you've, everyone is shouting at the ref, you know. Like we played loud and they got, I think, got maybe two sent off like, and it was just a couple of tackles and you get in the air, the lines when the ref a bit more. But um I just if the whole experience isn't great, like I suppose my experience, you land down to the to pitch, 
an hour and a quarter before the game, you get changed in the concourse up in the stand. You know, it's not in the dressing room. You're all spread out. Team talk is given there, a bit of warm-up and onto the field, you know, and you're all spread out in the subs and only you have to be face coverings. Like, it's uh, it's not great, to be honest, which I didn't didn't really enjoy the whole pile, bar maybe the result against Kerry. Yeah, the last I wonder, Paul, I obviously, I obviously didn't experience I was finished, but I wonder, is there a whole psychology piece around that for managers as well? And trying to get teams prepared for that, going into a parky Quib or into a Crow Park, not even getting changed in the stadium, not even able to do your huddle in the in the warm-up room and maybe Crow Park beforehand. Like, is there a psychology piece for teams? Did you discuss it, I wonder, before games last year? Yeah, we would have, like... Yeah, it would have been all about trying to generate your own atmosphere, like, you know, when you're trying to get there, G each other up. Like, the one thing I found is you could really um, see the demeanour, like, in the body language of players, do you know what I mean? Like, when I was warming up against Kerry... You could just see they were a bit kind of quiet, maybe they weren't themselves. Even when the game was close, I just found like, right, we're on here, we've the right chance, you know what I mean? Um, whereas you might notice that if, if it was it was going on. But um that was our big thing. We did try to practice that away from the away from the ground, you know, coming and going. Just uh we played an uh, an internal game down the park and like that now it was bare minimum you're only in for that that would be a match day. But um like as I said, it's just about we we spoke about generating our own atmosphere and trying to cheer each other up. And as I mentioned about Kerry, you could see Tip growing when they were playing us. Do you know what I mean? Like you could maybe see our lads slumping a little bit. I found anyway it was a bit obvious in comparison to let's say if there was a big crowd there. Tip, Tip are another team that have no problem playing in front of nobody, so it wouldn't be nothing psychological uh, for them. I thought Dublin, we were talking on the show last year, and Dublin won probably the handiest All Ireland they ever won last year. And I thought maybe Dublin is definitely a team that would have to have some talk with somebody and prepare them for silence. Because, like, I mean, you know from your career, that's the last thing, that's the last memory you have of playing championship football. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm sure they have. Like, I know, well, certainly, I know Jim, Jim's obviously gone now, but he would have been a big believer in the whole psychology thing. I'm sure Desi is as well. Um, but I remember under Pat Killer and under Jim, we used to practice the week before we were maybe playing in the All-Ireland or, or playing in games in Siding Crow Park. We... We might practice coming out onto the pitch up in St David's or up in in uh, up in DCU. There, we might practice coming out on the pitch, and we'd actually practice the the, the uh, we'd actually practice the parade. So we'd walk around, and you'd be visualising. And now you're doing that, you're actually vi- it's real when you're there because there is going to be nobody in the stadium. <laughs> so it's uh, but no, I'm sure teams are working hard on it. And it is because like it as Paul said, games can easily fizzle out, and kind of sometimes it's the crowd. You get a couple of scores, then the crowd gets behind you, and that's what that's what helps drive John then to go chase a lead or whatever. And when that crowd isn't there, maybe to drive you on. If you, like if you do get a bit of momentum, it can get sucked off you very quickly. It does not. It is not a crowd there to back you up. So I suppose that's it's such a huge part of games. So if a player is like I certainly know about Parler, you would have fed off a crowd, Woolly for sure. I would have fed off a crowd definitely. So there's players that definitely feed off the big crowds. And um, like I uh, often looked at myself playing and thought over my career I performed better for Dublin than I would have for me from my club Plunkett's and I often wondered why it was was it the space in Crow Park was it the crowd was it and maybe the crowd had a big part to play in that that, that as a player I just just enjoyed the crowd there like the big occasion and I fed off like the occasion yeah the big spaces in Crow Park would have had a lot to do as well you get a bit more space than you might in a club pitch but there's certainly the, like the crowd plays a huge element in games and, and, yeah. and it's been sorely missed so uh, it's going to be great to get it back one, one of the most bizarre things I ever witnessed I was at both All-Irelands the hurling and the football was the teams running out in the field 
and the music and complete silence. Like, I mean, you could, do you, for an All-Ireland final, the only people you could hear, like you're saying, Paul, is the, the substitute benches cheering. And you'd be surprised actually how much noise they can make in an empty stadium. I, I, was, I was actually surprised they were shouting so much. Um, just give Division 4 a shout out here, Les. Loud play Antrim this weekend, which is an interesting one because Mickey Hart has gone to Loud, which is a very left field appointment. And he's, they're playing Antrim and Enda McGinley and Stephen O'Neill the end is their manager and he's brought in Stephen O'Neill uh, with him it's a surprise move I suppose uh, Paul for Mickey Hart like I mean maybe he's going to be the new Mick O'Dwyer and he might do a tour of the country and you know be the Messiah or whatever it, or maybe a little bit you know hurt by the way he left the Tyrone job and immediately wanted to get back into something yeah I suppose like are you surprised no he's still in managing yes maybe he went to load like um such a big job there, you know. We would have played them last year, and they were probably probably the worst in Division Three, you know. And they were a bit naive, like they had a couple of good players, uh, good uh, Samuel Roy up front, very good, but they were just we cut them open with a bit of inter interplay, and they were a bit naive. So I'd, I'd say we'd be aiming there to make them a bit more cohesive. But uh, I just say you can't stay away from it. To be honest with you, it's probably a bit hurt the way Tyrone ended, and look, I suppose that's a completely fresh start, Division Four. Um, you know, no real kind of ambition in Leinster, so. I suppose if he sees any improvement there, like they'll say he's done a good job, you know. Yeah, exactly. Well, like I mean, you've been in Division Three, like you're saying. Like I mean, did you did you notice much of a difference? Like not just the standard, but I, I've, we've been down in the lower divisions at times, and it's an awful dogfight to get out of it. You were lucky enough to get out the one year that you were there, but the referees aren't great, the pitches aren't great. Like there seems to be a lot of kind of stuff conspiring against you not to get back out of this division. Yeah, um, I suppose. Keen O'Neill was involved with us and he was there with Kildare and he, he had that experience and he was driving it into us every game. Do you know, it was kind of aim for two wins in a row, aim for five wins and then try to get to, to seven or whatever. Like, you go to places like Leitrim, geez, the way I started off my career, I didn't think I'd ever end up in a place like Leitrim, like <laughs> away, you know, on a, on a Sunday, miserable in, in February or whatever. But um, yeah, I, I found it, it was, um, it was a bit of a dogfight, right? Every team was defensive against us, like we'd loaded the ball. And geez, we were thinking here, is this going to be good prep for Kerry at all for championship? Like, you know, it's, it's a bit, probably a bit, a bit false, but it actually, it turned out it was a good health to it. Kerry set <laughs> yeah, up. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> it was, uh, it was just, it was, it was tough. Yeah, it was physically tough. Um, I suppose you, you just probably, we were probably just a little bit, of, a level above them in terms of maybe conditioning and organizing a bit of quality. And then as, as you go up to divisions, then we'll find out where we are. But, uh, like division three and four, they're in too much football played. Like it's just a battle, and you want to get up and, and, and get in, get into the top two. Well, that's the thing, and that's they're in a very tough division. Um, in Division Four, you have Antrim, Loud, you have Sligo, who who new managers Tony McEntee and Leitrim, who came down last year, and on the other side you have Wexford, Carlow, and Waterford, and two of them get into the semi. So they're after London, obviously not involved in Division Four. So like I mean, there's a clear easier group. Um, in Division Four, there's a clear easier group in Division Three as well. We might get uh, get to that. Um, in, in part two I remember you scored a goal against Loud actually one year where you punched the ball in and you smashed your back oh, off the post, post. Yeah. oh three that was yeah. oh three God bless your memory yeah, yeah. you were oh, we were friends back then Alan you know I kind of followed you <laughs> followed you a little bit um, come here another bit of news is Kieran Donahue he's in with our Mal lads and Kieran McGinney, um was talking during the week I think he must have been doing some league preview or something he says sometimes I think I thought this was an interesting um, thing to say I said sometimes I think 
you can have too many good forwards. You need people to make them tick. A little bit like Kilkenny does for Dublin, like Kieran would have done for Kerry, things like that. I just thought Kieran would have been the type, uh, would have had that type of background in his basketball too. So, like, I mean, this is something that really interests me, and it is a problem with Armal, and it's a problem with having six scoring forwards. You don't, you don't want them really, because if you have six scoring forwards, they're not going to throw it around with each other. So, like, I mean, what is the perfect balance in a forward line? Is it like this combative? centre forward or combative wing forwards play making centre forward and scoring full forward line that's kind of the traditional way yeah, well, yeah. like I think it comes back to each player in the forward line knowing their specific role and then guys have to be unselfish enough to be able to play that role and maybe to sacrifice themselves a little bit to to, to, um, to play that role and like if I think back I was from chatting to you yesterday I was thinking back say on the pillar Caffrey fella like I'm sure Paul will have loads of these guys well you'll have them too like fellas like Kevin Bonner that played wing back, who was you know Kevin was a good footballer, but Kevin was 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 probably had a bit more football. He played wing forward. You know, you mean? He played wing forward, forward, and when he yeah. played, he completely sacrificed himself to do that, to, to kind of do that job at wing forward of in around the breaking ball, doing the donkey work that maybe myself or Bernard didn't necessarily want to do, or Pillar didn't want us to do. Pat Gilroy was the same in 2010. He played Niall Corkery from Kilmacud, yeah. number 10. From nowhere he played this guy, Niall Corkery, who nobody would have thought Niall would have been a starter on the Dublin team, but he put him in number 10 because he could do that role better than anyone else. And all the good teams, you've got Brian Dewar, probably the best example, Paul Flynn, these guys. I know these obviously had lots of football as well but when yeah. Paul Flynn was at his best it was when he was in around the breaking ball getting tackles in and stuff obviously the further he went in his career he could, he could kick some outrageous points as well but guys known that even when I moved out to number 11 I knew right I was moving out my full forward line from so called scoring forward to start to be a bit of a provider so I knew if I could get on the ball maybe go on a bit of a solo run and then my job was to hand it off to Bernard who was freshening in a better position and I was very comfortable I made peace with myself doing it very comfortable doing that because I knew Bernard was probably the best shooter we had so that's and, and, and when teams do that I think it puts them in a, mu- in a much better position to go and win games and I could see exactly where Kieran's coming from there but you need a, like you need a culture of trust in the team you need guys who are going to sacrifice themselves maybe not get the names in the score sheet not get the names in the newspapers and, and the teams that do that are the teams that have the best chance of winning there's no doubt Yeah I think it, even from a Cork point of view uh, Paul, like I mean, you look at Luke Connolly, Brian Hurley, and Mark Collins—all a potential full forward line, but completely different players. Like you can't, you can't pick three similar. You know, even on the one line, you can't have three players that are looking to do the same thing. No, you can't. Um, I suppose finding that, let's say, balance or that kind of collectiveness is maybe been a struggle with us with Cork for maybe to click to get to that final level. But um, I'd agree with Alan. I think. The likes of Dewar and Galvin probably made that role glamorous, you know what I mean? Like, made made yeah. it for a, a place in every team. And then after that, Paul Flynn, I think, took it up a level, do you know what I mean? He, he was he was a complete wing forward like that. Like, But uh, I, de- I definitely agree. Like, in my time, we had Paddy Kelly. Paddy Kelly, yeah. Who yeah. used to be our wing forward. And he was, he was like, he used to be the fellow of the backs. He used to give the ball to... He was sort of covering back, you know. He was kind of the, the organizer in the middle. He was, he was, have have like yeah, um, in a weird, he was like a number 11 playing wing forward, wasn't he? He played number 11, he was more of a creative player, wasn't he? Yeah, he was when we were younger, he would have been a midfielder, like underage, you know, he would have been playing with a big, a big strong fella, and he would have been the the baller, like really. But, um, he would he was a kind of our, our fella, like very much like the Paul Flynn or, or the doer, let's say, of that time, yeah. Um, but I do think you need you need someone to sacrifice, and, and when when you see kind of your better players doing that, everyone will follow them. Like, you know, yeah. Um, it just makes it more competitive to get into those roles where 
maybe the, the work isn't uh, isn't needed that much, you know. Um, generally, like you find, probably the not like not the top teams have four or five of those hard workers, you know, maybe one up front, you know. So it's about striking that balance um, uh, to get it right. You you played a sweeper one year, didn't you? Remember against uh, Kerry and Killarney one year? I thought that was a good role for you uh, back then. Yeah, I, I yeah I loved it to be honest with you. Um, kind of practiced it a bit the year before, and then uh, kind of we kind of we we went man to man against Clare, let's say in the first round of Munster. And we kind of practiced it at the start of the year, and then just for months we were kind of practicing this on the side as well. And they were practicing with another guy sweeper, and they threw me in then about three weeks up for a championship, and I, I loved it to be honest with you. I, was, I got a black card actually; it was the first year of the black card. I suppose they wouldn't be used to the tackling and all that around the around the box, but. Uh, Stephen O'Brien was going through, and I, I had to take him down or whatever. But uh, I actually loved it back there. It was because no one's picking you up. Like you're getting on some handy ball, and, yeah. and you can set stuff up from there. And and like you, the forwards know they're going to get a good a good kick pass or a good hand pass from from someone back there. Then like, yeah, no, exactly. That's it. So tell me, what's the best balance? So we're describing the best balance forward line back around the 2010-11 where you had your your creative centre forward you had your two working wing forwards and then you had scorers on the inside line like you know different kinds of scorers you know like right now what is it the game has become so dynamic now like I mean you're looking at Dublin to have Mannion, Rock and Conor Callaghan which which probably well Mannion's I don't think is Mannion even back this year I'm not I'm not so sure, um, not Alan. sure. like yeah. you have Mannion who's ro- who has who has incredible pace you've Dean Rock who's a, a loop around merchant he's not looking to win ball out in front at all like Mannion and you've Con who's a bit of a bull now who can win ball in the air like that to me that's the modern full forward line and a half forward line now that creative man is kind of gone and they're almost they're defenders and attackers, isn't that kind of the, all three? You would probably get away with having similar enough three there, would you? Yeah, I'm not sure if it's like if it's specific positions or specific players. I think it's about the culture of the team. And if you have have good scoring forwards that are willing to sacrifice themselves occasionally, I think that's that's important too. Um, and it's a very difficult place to get to because everyone has to trust each other. Everyone has to be prepared to sacrifice themselves. Um, and it takes time, and it's. Like it doesn't happen in two or three games. Like, like we think of other example. You think of someone like Dennis Bastic who played midfield for Dublin. Like he, like he started midfield for three, four, five years for Dublin, and nobody would have thought he would have been when he started that he would have been a regular midfielder on a Dublin team. But because he did a job that he was asked to do, he protected our our back six. Um, he sacrificed himself. He got forward occasionally when he had the opportunity, but he was so important. And you mentioned Paddy Kelly. Like when we played against Cork around those years, Paddy Kelly was always the guy that we identified as as, as probably the most important player in the Cork team. Yet he was the fellow who was doing this dropping back because he was he was doing all the, like all that link play. And he probably had more football in him than than like he could have played as a centre forward if, if if he had been picked there. But because that was a role he was asked to do and he was excellent at it. Um so I think it's more around Around the manager deciding how a team sets up, how he wants to play, identifying the roles for each player, and then putting the players into those roles, and they they follow the roles. When they step outside of that, when a wing forward who's expected to to be in around breaking ball, expected to chase back, starts to want to go forward and try to get on the end of moves, that's when holes are left behind, and that's when teams get opened up. So, like I think it's it's about a team being disciplined and following the roles that are set by the manager kind of rather than having a specific centre forward and you have a, you have a big full forward and two guys off him yeah it's a lot um, fl- more fluid yeah, now I think I suppose. It, yeah it is a lot more fluid and if you look at Dublin as the example like any one of those like like in fairness to them they're so and it's probably easy to pick Dublin as, as an example because they've five or six or seven All-Irelands under their belt so it's easy 
be selfless then when you have the All Irelands under the belt. But when you're trying to make the breakthrough, you want to be the one that's 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 kind of taking responsibility. But sometimes taking responsibility is saying, okay, I need to stay back here to protect the back six and not go forward. Yeah, um, I think yeah, I think that's the way it went. It went from um, we'll uh, we'll finish up on this point. It went from. The Paul Galvin doer creating this role, uh, Paul, and making it glamorous, like you said, and they did. It wasn't, they could make it as glamorous as the one. I'm still not doing it anyways, because I'm not doing the work that, that, that there. But then it went, right, because that part of the job is the work is so important, it went to the stage where you're getting fecking wing backs playing that role that can't score. And then that looked, you know, it was terrible. <clears> At least the game is evolving back around now where wing forwards are expected to both work really hard it's like the new breed of wing forward you're, you're a mix of they're really really hard work but if you can't threaten the scoreboard you know are you really any good in that position well see that happens yeah I just think it's yeah. ahead, sorry and the, the the fitness level has just gone up and it's probably the ball has run more let's say from the from the middle third out a bit more you know and it's carried so there isn't that much direct kicking um, compared to the running but uh, it just like I, I suppose those guys and those kind of workmen like Rose, you said, he used to be wing backs going up there and I used to hate when I used to see that to be honest with you. Yeah. you know, I was like kind of taken out of the game but it was just it was just too defensive and um I, I think they're expecting to do everything now. Um and if they're not contributing, um they'll be taken off. And they're usually given a target of fifty five, fifty minutes anyway, and, and they're gonna be and they're gonna be cha- changed off for guys who are quite similar. But um like Keane Reid would have been a big guy, you know, to push us. Like the, the work starts from behind, and how we meant by that was like the full forward line working out and, and putting pressure on from behind, uh, and it helps it helps the line on the way back. Then every every time, so it's just you mentioned the Dublin lads; they're, they're just so fit, you know. Like in there, there isn't too many lads standing around. And um, I know you said Dean Rock, he mightn't show for the ball, but he still works very hard, you know. And like at, at the end of the day, no one can mark you if you're tackling. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So if you're tackling or chasing after, so when it breaks down, John, then they have the opportunity. That was the, that was sorry, Alex, that was the great one I always figured out. And you'd be going to Croke Park and you'd be wondering because I was playing wing back, then wing forward, and I was always interested in watching um, the likes of Paul Galvin, the likes of Doer, because I kind of fancy myself as a wing forward. And I was like, how did they play it? And then I was like, how is Doer always free? How has he never been picked up? Like, I mean. And it's because he's working so hard. And then I was like, shit, yeah, do you really want to work that hard just to get free? Because you, be, you wouldn't be able then. Like, I wouldn't have his fitness. So you're trying to figure out in your head, how can I actually find a role for myself? But it's on Paul's point. If you work hard, you'll generally find yourself without being marked. Yeah, because you end up in... You end up in areas of the field probably where, where your marker isn't going isn't gonna to go with you or wing back isn't going to go with you. But just yeah. to come back to your your point on wing backs moving up to wing forward like that's my exact point around getting the culture right if a manager has to move a number 5 up to do that job of a number 12 then the culture in the team isn't right because he can't get his forwards to do that work right. that, that, that the likes of do or Paul Galvin or Paul Flynn or Paul or Paddy Kelly would do as wing forwards um, and and, and then as you're losing by putting a wing back up, you're losing that maybe that ability to 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 get scores as well. Like you take a Brian Dewar, some of the scores Brian Dewar got, or some of the scores Paul Flynn got, outrageous scores. But they, the two of them are probably in two of the top three or four of the wing fours in the last twenty years. Like yeah, um, so I think it's a culture thing. Just come back to the point. I think it's a culture thing. 
in the team that fellas are willing to sacrifice themselves when they're asked to do it and that's what that's what moves the team forward certainly from my position um, playing with Dublin when we got that right when players were willing to sacrifice themselves that's when the team moved forward Do you think you were missing that for a while Paul in the last maybe five six years that culture of working hard like I mean you took a, a big beating off Tyrone in a Moore Park I was at it and a feature of that from my recall was geez, do they worked for the first 10 minutes and then they didn't, you know, they didn't track the runs. They didn't do that kind of hard work. Do you think that's something Keane O'Neill might have brought it to E? A bit more structure, a bit more, I don't know, you know, just that honesty amongst each yeah. other. That Are you are you working as hard yeah. as you can? Yeah, Alan mentioned the word culture. I don't think it was probably right for a few years, you know. Um, we probably, we had an awful lot of change over personnel-wise. You know, you could have a third of the panel, quarter of the panel gone year in, year out different coaches, different backroom gone year in, year out. You know, it's very hard to build anything there. Uh, and I do think you're right, we were probably missing that and we probably weren't up to the level. And I do think since Ronan's come in and like he was the he was in charge for that Tyrone game and he said, look, that was kind of a full stop for him. So things changed a bit after that. And I think I actually met one of the lads in all the area the other night and he said, we were talking about, he's like, what's the vibe there? I said, the vibe is good. And with Cork, if the vibe is good, like, you know, you're generally going to get a lot out of them. Do you know what I mean? Like the last couple of years, we've seen a, definitely an upward trajectory compared to five years, which was very, very poor. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, it definitely was. Right, well, listen, we're, I'm, I'm falling into di- talking about teams here now. We'll leave it there at the top of the show and we'll, we'll talk about some of the matches uh, when we come back. When your legs don't work like they used to before I was actually coming home on Saturday morning and I had the podcast on for Newbridge Southern 8 and that, that helps the journey to be honest if I'm if I've run out of Ed Sheeran songs depends on mood I'm in Ed's good for uh, if you're in a soppy mood Ed's good to sing along to you and then if you're in a GA head mood which I'm probably most of the week then I turn these boys on Darling I will be loving you So the first team I want to talk about is Kerry, lads. Kerry are playing Galway and it's in Austin Stack Park at three o'clock. This is kicking off the, the weekend, which is a great game to start um, the weekend off with. Kerry are an interesting one, right? Because they frustrated the life out of me last year. I, I was in disbelief when I saw them playing. Um, I was watching League Sunday. I think they were playing Monaghan or someone and Kieran Whelan was saying, Kerry are gone with a very defensive structure and he showed a couple of clips and I, I refused to believe it. I refused to believe a team that should have beaten Dublin the year before by playing to their strengths, which is their forwards, and really should have won the first day, I refuse to believe that they would rip up the script and go into it with a defensive system the following year. As it turns out, that Kieran Whelan was exactly right, and you know, we they came out against G. Paul um, that day, and you have David Clifford, you have Brosnan dropping back around the forty-five, <coughs> you know, all dropping back a line, everyone, and like I mean, I'd say you couldn't believe your luck. Yeah, I like that. No, we we obviously analysed. They, they beat Man in the both, and they beat uh, Donegal weekend team in Tralee. Yeah. Didn't take a few of the established lads. Couldn't believe how defensive they were. Like you, had Clifford being their first tackler on the opposition sixty-five. Shawnee Shea back in the half back line, and then everyone would drop to their forty-five, and they'd try to turn it over around their D. Like it was, uh, you know, something where they were the year before. Like and, and what I played against, you know, against their very very good team at the Nordies, like. It was just so far removed from what you usually see, you know. Yeah. Um, they, and like they traditionally were on about kind of balancing the forward line. Traditionally, the carry would have been two hard working wing forwards, a playmaker, a target man, 
couple of scores, you know, and they were just so far removed from that. It was unbelievable considering the players they had, you know. Well, that's the um, thing. I always remember when we, when we used to play on, they used to have Donica Walsh and Declan Sullivan sideline to sideline across the 50 45 showing for the ball, just relentless. Our wing backs used to always say it, um, and they just that was the half forward line, get the ball and play from there. And I think someone like Shawnee O'Shea can do that, but I just think they need a bit of a reset and go back to where they were in 2019. And probably Keane is under a bit of pressure after a good eight, first 18 months, you know, at one defeat against us. He's just under a bit of pressure, not just to perform, but maybe to go back to the, the Kerry way, let's say. Well, that's the thing, Alan. And the big, the big thing for me with Kerry, when they're playing well, like Paul says, they're playing through a half forward line. And you know yourself playing on the full forward line. You're not getting good ball unless it gets to your half forward line. And then you get the lovely ball where you're getting it on the edge of the D, you know, or with your back to goal, turn, put it over the bar. If Kerry are dropping their whole half forward line back and even dropping one or two to their full forward line, you know, out around, this is so far removed from the football they are good at. You know what I mean? It just doesn't make any sense. Like... I can't see them continuing what they did last year. You'd imagine they'll go, surely have to go back to 2019 kind of style of play. Yeah, look, it's hard to know. To me, looking in from the outside, and obviously there was, there was some murmurs coming out, there was a row down there. Paul Ganey came out a couple of weeks ago and said, no, all is okay. But like, to me, looking in from the outside, everything doesn't look okay because there's, like, there's no way those lads can be happy playing football like that. There's no way David Clifford or Sean O'Shea, as you mentioned, can be happy playing football like that. And, and, and like in a way, with all due respect to Cork, they, they, like Kerry kind of spoiled the championship for me last year because this was the game that up in Dublin we we were expecting Kerry to come yeah. through and and for Dublin Kerry to meet each other and that was going to be the real litmus test for Dublin and um, this young Kerry team coming through and, and it's not as if they don't have the players for it like he didn't play he didn't play Stephen O'Brien against you last year did he? That was the oh, big if, one if I remember correctly I was like Stephen yeah. O'Brien he is so dangerous like, yeah. he's, like I'd say when Cork saw him not on the team sheet it was like relief and confidence straight away because he's so so dangerous um, and he's a fella in fairness to him he's a really good attacker but he he doesn't shirk his workload either so it was strange now to see him replace I think Brian O'Bugley replace him who's who defender, yeah. as a wing back like so again there comes back to, is the culture right there why is he sacrificing a, a wing forward for a wing back so obviously it played right into Cork's hand and I suppose they got what they deserved in the end that's what um, the end yeah they ended up they ended up getting what they deserved but like I mean surely they'll give that up that was a they lost uh, Donny Buckley obviously and like I mean Donny yeah. Buckley is he's a he's a he's a, a, def- a defender's coach but I think he's a coach he does a bit of everything uh, Paul and it was very obvious he left did he leave because you know he didn't agree with the 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 you know the direction that they were taking? Who who knows? But like I mean, like Alan says, imagine you know David Clifford. Imagine Stephen O'Brien not starting. I know he's only coming back from an injury, but yeah. he he's the new like, he's the exact prototype wing forward that we were talking about in part one. The one that can work like a dog and score, you know, and does a bit of everything. I don't know. I think another little issue with Kerry is David we, Moran is thirty three this year, and how how important yeah. is he to them? Yeah, we, I suppose, we would have saw, well, going back to Donny Buckley, like he would have been involved in UCC a bit down here, you know, and he'd be, be a lot of Cork Kerry lads there. And, you know, they would, the lads in the panel would have given us a bit of insight. And we, he was a, we always thought he was, like he was a massive loss to them when they went, do you know what I mean? I think his big thing was tackling with Mayo when he was there, you know, and putting that pressure on in, in the middle third and that. And maybe, look, they wanted to go a different way and go a bit defensive. And when, like, to be honest with you, when we saw Bjorglieft, who's played in full back line for Kerry, wing forward, we got a fierce boost out of that. Like, we just thought it was a, a step backwards for them. 
And, w- and would, then, would, would you would you have figured out? Would you have got word of that in the dressing room, or had he? I think was that just announced yeah, on the yeah, kind of coming out. Yeah, just kind of on the pitch and that, you know, they were kicking around, like, you know, something similar happened, I suppose, in 2009. We, we played Tyrone McCork, Sean Cavanaugh was sick, you know, he missed, uh, and, you know, he's their best player, but yeah. kind of when we were in the warm-up on the field, but, um, like, and we, we all expected Stephen O'Brien to start, not only, as you said, he's such a good player, but he actually, he's always done very well against us, you know, and since since about 2014, he's, he's nearly had some of his better games against us, um, so we thought injury or not, he, he'd come straight into it, and... Um, and it's interesting you mentioned Dave Moore and like Kerry, they've always had a bit of a worker with, you know, with with a big midfielder like like Seamus Scanlon, know, and, and guys like that. So I would expect the Jack Barry to start as well last year, you know, for winter football and that, you know. So they're going to have to build a bit of depth there, I'd say, you know, as well. Like they're probably looking at maybe the likes of uh, Rowan Buckley, Dermot O'Connor, you know, to come in there. But as you said, he is 33 and, and they've probably enough issues in the centre of defence as well, you know. So, um they have a few questions, kind of. I suppose they have the attackers. Maybe they're worried about the back end. Yeah, they're probably under. They're probably the team that's under the most pressure in in in, in kind of any of the leagues. Everyone's going to be watching to see how Kerry start, and everyone else will, will probably get a bit of a gimme for the first game or two to get themselves right. But I think if Kerry don't start well in their first couple of games of the national league, there is going to be is going to be questions asked quickly, and 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 they probably need to answer them quickly just to get rid of uh, just to get rid of all the talk around them. And look, I hope I hope Kerry come out and they. They play football the way we're used to see them playing football and kind of let their forwards play and, and, and let their forwards, if they look at the deal, get the Crow Park and end up in a, in a championship game against Dublin. Let's see David Clifford against whoever's in the Dublin full back line playing inside in the full forward line rather yeah. than out around midfield trying to get tackles I, I, on. And I think it was, a cr- it was a crime to Gaelic football how to change their... Like, I mean, think of those finals against Dublin. Yeah. They almost outscored, like, yeah. took Dublin out in a shootout and nearly beat them, Alan. Okay, like, I mean, yeah, yeah. and then go defensive. <laughs> like, I mean, I would have thought after that All-Ireland final... Kind of in your head, ah, oh, lo- lovely. It's turning back now. They'll see we're the two best. There, yeah. We're nearly there, and then you have the second best team in the country going back to what we were trying to get away from. Like, I mean, I don't know. Like, I mean, it was just. Please, fingers crossed that they they go back. But I do agree with you, lads, that Peter Keane is under huge pressure, and he's 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 in his third year. I think it's a three year contract, and if they don't if they don't win Munster, I I don't know, Paul. Like, I mean, if they don't win, if they don't get to an All Ireland final this year, Peter Keane could be under pressure. Yeah, I'd say a bit like Dublin, like there's pressure in Kerry, like there's pressure nowhere else. You know what I mean? Like, um, like, and I think they've only what is it one one All Ireland in eleven years? Like, you know, so they're on a bit of a bit of a drought for them. Like, so there's massive pressure, and I think probably they'd want to be getting to a league semi final, which they probably will, and win the monster and probably get to the final. Like you said, you know, was considering Dublin and Mayo are on the other side, yeah. um, really. So. But I think that style of play issue is probably is one that they're probably going to have to answer to as well. Like, yeah, there's definitely it'll be an interesting one to see. I'm definitely watching that on Saturday, um, at three o'clock. Another big one this weekend, lads, is Tyrone and Donegal. And Tyrone are a very, very interesting team because they've new management, Fergal Owen and Brian Dewar. So the big expectation with Tyrone now is that they're going to change their style and and open up and be a, you know a less defensive. Uh, team. The evidence of the 2015 or 21 team that beat Tipperary in Tullamore didn't really suggest that. Now, but I think the the whole kind of push in the county is for maybe to change the style, and they have the players to do it. Like this is the thing about it. Like I mean, uh, Connor McKenna's a revelation. That he'd be at 11. Cottle McShane is 14. Now you have those two. Maddie Donnelly maybe a midfield. You might have Rona McNamee at fullback. You'd have Rory Brennan or Parik Hamsey at centre back. Like that's a fair old spine 
of a team to be challenging. They've loads of options up front then. Like, I mean, Paul Donaghy off Dungannon uh, won a county final. I think he's going to start. He's a free taker and they need a free taker. Derek Hanavan, Lee Brennan, Conor McHalesky, Mark Bradley, Darren McCurry. They're all similar enough. You'd imagine Derek Hanavan will get in there and then they need some workers maybe on the wings like Niall Sludden and Conor Myler. But when you go through their team, Alan, like, I mean... there's a lot of potential in that team. Again, if they get away from the counter-attack football, which is probably a little outdated now. Yeah, it is. I suppose kind of Brian Dewar style of playing football wouldn't lend you to believe that, that they'd be going all out attack. And it'll be interesting to see how this how the joint management kind of thing works. Um, obviously, the boys must be very, very close and obviously trust each other to, to, to kind of go into that together. But um, looks but. Like the last few years, I've never doubted the footballers Tyrone have. I think they have very good footballers. Um, I think they're, I think they're still lacking a player or two. I think to 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 really compete against a Dublin or, or a Kerry on a big day or even a Mayo. Um, and I think the two lads have a lot of work to do there. I think they they, they haven't much time maybe to implement the change of style that they want to. Um, maybe that'd be a good thing. Um, and there's no doubt they have good forwards. At, as you say, they have a strong spine, but I think they might just, they're probably lacking a midfielder um, and maybe one or two others around the field. They're probably two or three players away from really challenging, I think. I think that's uh, probably, that's why I put Maddie Donnelly in midfield because they, like, they probably are lacking a midfielder. Maybe Kennedy goes in there, but you look at their defence, uh, Paul. They've Ronan McNamee, Porrick Hamsey, Tierna McCann, Rory Brennan, all probably guaranteed starters. And then, you know, McKernan, McGeary, Rafferty, Burns and these fellas. I, I, think, there, I think there are players there and I think that you know, like that counter-attack football, geez, you, you were at the receiving end of it and it's very hard to deal with, but it has kind of proven not to work. Tyrone haven't beaten Mayo, Kerry or Dublin, I think since 2008 when they beat Dublin, like which is a long, long time ago. So they do need to change what they're doing. Like if, because all Ireland's is their, is, you know, is their target. Yeah, I, I think uh, you're right. They're the most interesting team. Um, like, geez, you listed out forwards there, like, just a lot of silky fours. You wouldn't associate that with Tyrone at all. Do you know what I mean? Like, you wouldn't think they have that many. Uh, they, weren't, they weren't picking them. like Lee Brennan. Like, you'd be, no, you'd be looking forward to seeing them. Um, but you're on a balance. Like, I think they have so little time and they're in the Ulster group. Like, they can't, they're going to want a fresh approach. Like, they're not going to change it up that much. Um, and as you said, it hasn't worked. Like, they were totally in class when they played Dublin a few times when they went to that approach. But um, as I said, they're an interesting team. Like, I think they'll probably play maybe they'll probably keep two or three up playing off Max Shane and uh, maybe someone like um, you probably have someone like Myler then sweeping you know so um, but I do agree with Alan I think Colin Cavanagh since Colin Cavanagh's gone they'll need someone big uh, big target man to play with Donnelly but um, it'd be interesting to see just how much they roll back from the probably culture they've been used to since they've grown up like do you know what I mean Um and as I said, with the league they're in, they're going to probably find it hard to maybe express themselves that bit more. The, the funny thing is, uh, was it two years or three years ago, they did change when McShane came in and they, they played, they beat Dublin in Croke Park and they played some lovely ball. They hammered Derry in the Ulster Championship. They were playing great diagonal ball into McShane. He was flying it. The only thing is, they went all into that and then they come up against Donegal who dropped loads of lads in front of McShane and there's like, oh shit, what do we yeah. do now? Well, Whereas, you know, every team has to have the balance and finding, we're talking about balance in a forward line. But there's also balance in how you play the game. You can't have one style. That and that was Tyrone's defensive counterattack. Like Dublin will counterattack you, but they'll also go at you with you know with direct ball if 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 the game opens up. And I suppose how how you coach that 
or do you do, do you do a lot of talking about it and trust your players to know when you know when to do like do the drop back to get a rest? Kieran McKeever did the show last year a couple of times, and he was talking about times in games dropping back almost to catch your breath, yeah. you know, because it's so breathless. You know, kind of coaching this with players, Alan. Like, I mean, how do you go about doing it? I suppose. Yeah, I think that's probably that's that's one thing I was going to mention. If you tie down Paul McShane, which has happened in games, um, I think Tyrone struggled a little bit with the rest of their forward line. To, to Cahill McShane. To, or, sorry, Cahill You're McShane. You're thinking Paul of the Irish. Cahill McShane. Both redheads um, now in fairness, aren't they? I think they struggle yeah. when he gets tied down for, for other lads to get into the game. Some of the other guys, as Paul mentioned, are, are, are be smaller guys, um, the likes of Lee Brennan, McCurry, maybe rely on the likes of... Uh, of McShane to get him into the game, so they probably need they probably need another angle. They probably need another couple of players. Maybe Derek Hanavan coming in make a difference. Someone like that, small nippy forward gets up to Crow Park, um, and you get a bounce off a new management. They'll certainly get a bounce off the likes of Brian Dewar. Like he, he's obviously well respected there, so I think the lads will respond to a change a change in management. I'm sure Mickey Hart was very well respected, obviously up there, but I think a change at this stage was good for them, and I think the players might feed off that. So this is a big year for them. I think they'll have a the, like because they'd have that bounce with, with having a new management in in for the first year, but um, just to come back to your question, I suppose like like it comes back to not having the time maybe to prepare to yeah to get that in place. Yeah. And we would have practiced that with Dublin. We would have spent a huge amount of time both under Pat Gilroy and Jim Gavin. If when a team lets you counter attack, you you go at it hard. But if we have to slow it down, then we're very comfortable throwing the ball out around against the defensive side around the forty-five yard line until an opportunity presents itself. So I suppose it's having that having that game management skill to know when to slow it down and when to hold on to possession or when is the counter-attack on and let's let's really go for it. And when you go after a counter-attack, um, we used to call it a power play. Jim Gavin used to call it a power play. When that opportunity presents, we all go and you go hard. And you, we saw Dublin, obviously the likes of Jack, Jack McCaffrey coming through. When he goes, yeah. he's going right to the right to the penalty spot. Yeah. Um, and it's, and it's, it's, a, it's up to individual players to say, right, this is a power play, like Jack McCaffrey's goal that time, right? So that was, you know, yeah, exactly. it was clearly on. But yeah. do players have to identify that themselves, obviously. Yeah, well, manager can't do that in the field. Yeah, yeah. Like, like it does come down to the intelligence of the players sometimes, but, but but and then kind of watching videos and seeing here's an opportunity where we missed. Like there was a goal opportunity on there if we had a if we had a taken it on. And that's in the last couple of years, that's probably been a criticism at times of Dublin because they were playing against such defensive teams. Like I think we've spoken here about about how maybe Kieran Kilkenny sometimes slow the game can slow the game down. And kind of watching that from a stand, I could see I I sometimes get frustrated with Kieran when he slows it down, but he's he's that's his style. He's managing the game and the way what he sees in front of him. And if he thinks the counter attack's on, he'll go for it. If he doesn't, then he'll just slow it down and he'll wait for the cavalry to arrive. He thinks there's too many men back. So, um, and he's trusted to do that by the management. It's his call on the on his call it's to his do call it on the it? field. And who am I to judge Kieran Kilkenny? Well, that's true. Although he's full, fo- <laughs> he's he's more dynamic now again. Like he's lost that. He's in the full forward line. But is that the big thing about coaching, Paul? Is like, like, can we read too much into coaching, or can we just say smart players on the field will like? You know, you'll you'll talk about what you want to do, but if you don't, if you've players that are headless chickens that can't take, you know, basically, you a lot of it is you play it as you see it. Like, I mean, if you get a good player with a ball and he sees there's a counter attack on, that the three or four lads around him will all go with him because they'll sense it. Whereas in a in a weaker team, two of them might go and get you know dispossessed. Yeah, I suppose with Cork, we probably would have had that problem losing the ball, like too easily and too frequently like we would have got the criticism that we look unfit but like if you're running around after the ball all game you're bound to look unfit like do you know what I mean and yeah. so that was a big thing lads. like we needed to improve on was, was keeping the ball and 
we kind of sometimes had maybe too many fillers going like we can see massive scores like and try out score the other team and could be like a cricket a cricket game like the score but uh at the end of the day it's the players they can feel it like when they're on the field you know and, and probably Kilkenny is they're all taking their lead from Kilkenny as Alan mentioned you know if he, he can probably feel the pace of the game whether he needs to uh, slow it down or speed it up but um for, yeah just like run out different different style of play I just meant we played Tyrone Super 8 two years ago or was it three years ago but we were, we were ahead of them by four or five points and they, they made the play Maddie Donnelly went in full forward with Max Shane and it just it changed them completely it was the winning of the game like so I, I just think changing that style of play like it's in them a little bit all it simply meant was they kept two up front and um, we couldn't really deal with it so um, and I'm not sure I think I think Maddie Donnelly was changing in and out with, with, with whoever was inside there and look that was a that was just an, an example of a, a player kind of seeing how the game was going and Colin Cavan himself actually pushed off from a sweeper uh, to around midfield and we couldn't deal with it and I think that call came from on the field from the players so um, at the end of the day you can have all the instructions you want but it's the players who are probably winning and losing it like yeah I, we never uh, Maddie Donnelly might even have the legs for midfield he, if he was up front with McShane and Conor McKenna at centre forward like that's all Ireland winning kind of personnel yeah, you think that you, is but I think the problem with kind of Matty Donnelly is he's very effective in there, but then you're probably robbing yeah, yeah. the paid pods, put him in there, and he's probably being yeah. a victim of that. Sometimes he goes in, and then they're under pressure. He has to come out, and he's kind of in and out a lot. So maybe a, 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 like and, and like he's a very smart footballer. You can see, like as Paul said, when he's playing, sometimes he goes in, and then if he's not getting on the ball, he'll wander back out again. Um, and he's probably their most important player. Um, probably Colin Kavanagh for for like he's going to be very difficult to replace from. Like he's a kind of similar sort of footballer to maybe Den- maybe Dennis Bastic was for Dublin like he did a lot of unseen work did a lot of a lot of covering at the back and, and kind of to replace his experience and his guile and his game management I think for for um, for the new management is going to be difficult and, and big shoes to fill there Yeah no definitely Colin Cavan is on the show on Monday he's uh, he's going to do the, re- the review show so we'll be definitely asking him about how to run One quick one before I let you go is or before we move on is Peter Hart Paul like he often used to wear number 7 on his back but he never played wing back he was always playing wing forward corner forward for me I don't want to be too critical of him because he's, he's an excellent player but in the very very big games he's often marked out of it like would going back to wing back because we know Wing back is probably the free role on the team because your your marker will be dropping back a good bit. Like, would that give him a new lease of life? Would it give Tyrone an extra dynamic? He can score long range points off the outside of his boot. He can break lines. Does he need a break from being man marked really, really tightly? Yeah, I would have played with Peter with, with the international rules, and he was a quality player. Like, just technically very good, very intelligent. I think he started off there nearly as a minor, did he? As a wing backer, I think he could have played. Um, and I think it definitely would. Maybe he's had his injuries. He's facing the ball, coming onto the ball, um, and as you listed off at the start there, the list of forwards and national forwards. I just think they're maybe depending on him to carry the forward line in the big game, and probably he isn't that natural forward that, that could have done it and got him over the line. Do you know what I mean? So I definitely think if he had the freedom wing back um, with the covering behind him, I think it definitely could give him a new lease of life because he's a kind of fellow you forgot about really, like because he wasn't there last year, but. He was a mainstay for him over the last last four or five years. Like, yeah, maybe Conor Myler dropping back and you know giving him that 
yeah. you know, space to run forward. I don't know. I'm very interested in Tyrone this year. What about Dublin, um, Alan? Like, I mean, I heard Kieran Whelan. Did I read him or did I hear him? I think I read it uh, somewhere where he was saying that the Dubs could be caught this year. Um, like, I'd love to know how Whelan's basing that on, coming off the handiest All-Ireland. We're pretty much strolled to an All-Ireland, like, if we're being honest. Yeah, um, I suppose I said earlier on the show, I haven't heard... Haven't heard too much from the Dublin camp. Not sure. Not sure who's showing up well or what. What young lads are maybe in the reckoning for for um, for some game time in the national league. But obviously, it's 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 very difficult to look beyond Dublin. Um, ah, it's impossible to impossible look beyond to look beyond Dublin at this yeah. stage. Yeah. Because um, let's be honest, Kerry, people say Kerry are their biggest threat, but Kerry are on the basis of last year. Like I mean, we have to see what Kerry come with this year. You know, at, at the moment, I don't see much of a threat to Dublin. Yeah, look, we have to see what Dublin coming as well. Like, there's a couple of lads have another year under the belt, like Sadine and stuff. That like, like there is a couple of lads that are that are getting on a little bit. Um, we probably need another couple of lads to come through, just in terms of of of, of a conveyor belt or whatever. So it's going to be interesting. Look, I've no idea what's coming from Dublin. Like, there's no doubt Desi is going to. Uh, well, that he won't be there for the first game. But there's no <laughs> doubt. There's there's no doubt that there will be some young lads thrown in in the national league to try and to try and get some new blood too. So that's. That's for me probably going to be the most interesting part, and like Sean Bugger and stuff from my own club Plunkus to see it's another big year for him again. After he started off very well last year, and then probably in the last couple of games petered away a little bit. So another big year for him. So looking forward to seeing him and and, and other young lads making the breakthrough. Again. Yeah, no, definitely. I think there. What about Cork, uh, Paul? Like, I mean, like I, I say in Dublin, I don't see much competition. But like you won't like to hear that because I'm sure Cork are thinking, you know, we're one of the teams that you've Donegal, you've Tyrone, you've Kerry, you've Galway, you've Mayo, and Cork want to join, you know, join that group of, of teams that can challenge Dublin. Yeah, I suppose with Cork, like, we were kind of in the, the, down the doldrums for a while. Um, I think I think the Dubs played Cork in a challenge game there recently, you know, so like that's the kind of games we want to play every year. Um, I suppose... Our biggest thing is consistency. Like taking a step forward last year, beating Kerry, and two steps back losing to Tip. You know, um, same the year before, got to the Super Eights, but won no game in the Super Eights. So, like we, we just need to be a bit more consistent. Um, I think we've a kind of favourable side of Division Two, to be honest with you. So, um, I think they're definitely on an upward curve. Like, um, I think they have a good blend between Ronan McCarthy, who's steady, and Keen O'Neill, who's a bit more. Um, energetic um, so I, I think look the next couple of years hopefully they'll be getting to that level again and like I mean Ronan McCarthy's back for the next game what was he doing appealing that when he was actually back before the championship at all I don't know what he was playing at oh geez, I don't know it was, it was a couple of appeals I think two appeals he lost appeal, yeah. And, he, yeah and he's back before yeah. the, he's back before the league oh. <laughs> Yeah, but sure. If the, like if there was a ban, he should been getting games. I suppose as of all the time, like do you yeah. know what I mean? So I suppose it comes from the GA really. But uh, yeah, I suppose he's back now this weekend. Uh, I suppose he had a nice few weeks off there. Um, so like as I said, he's a kind of steady enough operator. Um, so look, he doesn't leave lads to get too high or get too low, which is um, probably exactly what we needed coming off the last five or six years before. I think I think that's the big thing. And I remember talking to Damien Comer, I think it was three years ago on this show, and he was on about consistency because Galway were like kind of Cork. I think up-and-coming teams often suffer from that. And you did too, Alan, when you're coming with Dublin. You take a step forward and then you take two oh. steps back and now you're back the next year trying to rectify that. You know, it's fairly common. No, it is. And you think you're ready to make the breakthrough. And I'm sure 
when Cork beat when Cork beat Kerry last year, the team cried, "Here we are now, we're on the cusp of a semi final or a final, and then you then you lose Tipperary." And so it happened to us for years and years, where you think you're ready to make that yeah. that step to the next level, and you get knocked back. So look, it's just part of of of, of the progression of a team, I suppose. And like all those experiences, that experience losing to Tipperary, I'm sure Ronan McCarthy and his management team and the players took lots of lessons out. But like we did, um, like we did over the years, and eventually all those lessons come together and you make the breakthrough. And, then it's all worthwhile. <laughs> if it comes to Kevin McManaman will get a goal exactly, and change, yeah, Kevin, and change yeah. history and that would be it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll, if all else fails, Kevin sort it out. <laughs> we'll take one quick look through the divisions, lads, here before we finish up. So Division 1 is Kerry, uh, Dublin, Kerry, Roscommon, Galway. Two of these teams are coming out and then the other four is Armagh, Donegal, Monaghan, Tyrone. So as we know, two teams go into the semi, two teams go into the relegation. So you're guaranteed four games. The winners of the league will... will um, We'll get five games. Like, I mean, are we looking at a Dublin Kerry final here? Is that too easy to to, yeah, to say? Yeah, no, I think so. I think, like, if you're if you're analysing that and you look at the pressure Kerry are under, as I said already, they're under pressure to win games. So I think he won't be taking any chances in the first couple of games. We want to get a couple of wins under his belt just to stop that talk. And with that in mind, I think I think Kerry will get through and 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 maybe even win the league. I think I think the Dubs will probably go with a bit more experimental. Um, Maybe try and blood some new guys, uh, or a mixture of mixture of youth and experience. But but I think a Dublin Kerry final would be a fair fair reflection on that. Would maybe carry the sneaky. All right, okay, fair enough. It has been done before. What about Division Two uh, for you, Paul? Like I mean, Le- Leash, Clare, Cork, Kildare, Cork play Kildare this weekend. They'd obviously like yeah. to play each other in the last game because they are. Let's be honest, the two strongest teams in that group, and then you've Westmead down Mayo Mead. Like again, people are going to say, "Just this is an analysis." He's picked Dublin Kerry in Division One. I'm going to go for Cork Mayo and <laughs> Cork Mayo in this one. Like I mean, but it's hard to look past Cork and Mayo. Yeah, um, I suppose initially when it was broken down, I'd say Cork would have definitely been nine up promotion. We've had a lot of injuries in the last couple of weeks, I think, in, in training, but. Uh, so uh, we actually haven't done too well against likes of Kildare and Clare previously. So, but I still fancy him to get through to the semi at least with with the two Division One teams on the other side. So, uh, I think Mayo will probably win it out. Do you know what I mean? Um, again, they're looking to build and and just roll into let's say all the way to the All Ireland semi against the Dubs. So, I I go for a, a Cork Mayo final. Yeah, yeah. Me to be country. honest, I think with the way games when it comes so thick and fast, some managers might be happy enough just reaching the semi final and even leaving her off with that or maybe even getting some competitive games in the group stays under the belt and leaving her off with that. Mention the injuries, like I'm sure every team now is, is like is under pressure with injuries because they've had to ramp it up yeah. so quick. Like and games are gonna come thick and fast and um, so injuries are are gonna play a huge part in this season. There's no no time for recovery and but if you see a team like Mead, right? So Mead could be the spanner in the works here. So say if Mead said to themselves at the start of this league, we want to win this league. Right, nobody else really will be saying that. At most, I'd say the majority of teams will be, especially in Division One, and some of them in Division Two, will be thinking more yeah. about the league, minding themselves. So if you actually go bang, we want to win this league. You could, you know, you could win it. Yeah, well, for a team like me, they get so much out of it. They'd probably they get more out of it than a Mayo would, um, because obviously Mayo are a seasoned team. So. I'm sure a team like Mead will be looking for that confidence boost to try and get through to a final, and it'd be huge for them. And that's the thing, I suppose. A Division Two, to, a Division Two uh, league for Cork wouldn't be too much on the agenda, uh, Paul, would it? It would be more minding themselves for the championship. Yeah, I'd say the big thing is just, just with, going with up. the way it's fallen and injuries is avoid avoid relegation. Do you know what I mean? Like, would be a big thing for a lot of teams. Um, and I, I, you mentioned Mead there. I'd say Kildare in the similar boat from the way they went over the championship last year. You know, they were. I think me got five goals in the second oh, half. Yeah, they were dreadful, yeah. And Jack O'Connor will know Division One is the place to be, really. Like, 
Yeah, no, exactly. Kildare have a lot to prove. Jack O'Connor is another manager under pressure. There's plenty of managers. We could have done the team of the show. Um, managers under pressure. Division three then. This is the most unevenly split um, division. Uh, well, division four as well. Three and four are. So you have Cavan, Derry, Fermanagh and Longford in one group. We know Longford are a very, very solid division three team. Fermanagh came down. Cavan came down. Um, and Derry, you know, are building under uh, Rory Gallagher. And then you have Wicklow, Offaly, Tipperary and Limerick. You know, like that, there's a clear tougher division there in Division 3. I like, I mean, again, Jesus, you're looking at, uh, Tipperary will make the semi-finals because they're in the easier side. Um, Cavan, I think, are, are bankers. Maybe Cavan and Derry in the semis and Tip and Offaly. You know, who, who wins that division? You'd imagine it would have to be Cavan, uh, Paul, based on last year's form. Yeah, you'd imagine Cavan and Tip are probably send those but like Tip have always been inconsistent enough in the league. Like, yeah, they hate the league. And on their they? side, Offaly, we played it. Yeah, we played Offaly last year. They weren't too bad. They were one of the better teams in Division Three, and I definitely think Limerick are a bit positive. I wouldn't rule out Limerick getting to the semis either. I think they're a bit positive where they are. Geez, they should have probably beaten Tip last year in the semi the Munster as well. You know, so I'd probably fancy Cavan anyway to win it out, and probably maybe you know Tip or Tip or Limerick maybe to get to the final. Yeah, again, all these kind of things are based on nothing really last year's form and we don't know whether Limerick are saying lads we're treating the league more importantly than the championship you know we're in we're in we've got you know Kerry or Cork we're not going to win Munster we want to win this league and if they say that who's certainly in years gone by the league has become way more important than it was maybe when I started playing or um, around the 2000s the league is a really important competition and I I probably said in this show before that for some managers the league is probably more important than the championships. Like it's about getting up from Division Three to Division yeah. Two. Maybe it doesn't take on as much importance this year because you're rolling into the championship so quick. But I suppose there's a couple of interesting kind of subplots. Rory Gallagher, as you mentioned, with with up with Derry. For me, that's interesting. He's a year or two into that project now. Can he get them to the next level? And obviously, he plays a defensive style of football, but he's a he's a shrewd operator, Rory. In fairness to him, as we know, so it'll be interesting to see where they're yeah where they're at as well. They could sneak into a division four. Then we've mentioned already Loud Antrim, Sligo, Leitrim is in one group, and then you've Waterford, Carlow, Wexford. So you'd imagine Carlow and Wexford are in the semis. Um, I'm going for Loud uh, to beat Leitrim in the final um, in this one, but. Again, we don't know, but you're right on that, Paul. The, the teams that do care about the league and treat it almost like championship are Division 3 and 4 because you want out. There are some Division 2 teams that go, ah, it's not that bad in Division 2, you know. But definitely Division 3 and 4, the league is definitely more important than the championship. Yeah, definitely the teams in Division 4, it's like their championship, do you know what I mean, to get up to that higher standard of football. I remember talking to Phyllis Waterford before and she's, to get promoted would be the holy grail, like almost, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Jeez, I don't know. It's pick any one of those out of the, the bottom four, Division Four. You would know, like Sligo, and um, new manager, you know, Neil Murphy's back from. Like you would know how they'd go, you know. So, um, jeez, oh, I couldn't, I couldn't pick one there. To be honest it's a difficult. It's definitely a difficult one. And to be honest with you, we'll end up with egg on our faces. We'll record these predictions because none yeah. of them will come in, come in right, especially with the year that's in it. But anyways, we've made them now, and we, to be honest, we've gone for the obvious ones in every single division. So look. We can uh, we can at least say that we 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 it, it was obvious, right? Listen, lads, we leave it there. Um, we've done enough. We'll be back on Monday with Johnny Doyle and Colm Kavanagh um, on the review show. So we'll talk to you all then. Good luck. I'm not finished yet. It took me a long time to get here. Both pairs have, have spoken with each other, and uh, 
and they regret what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other, and they're, they're both of them are keen to, to now focus on getting back their county jerseys. But these fellas will get such a shell shock next Saturday evening that we'll put them back in their houses for 10 years. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.